The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Unbelievable. Yes, Isaac, thank you for making that awkward for all of us. So um, good to see you guys this morning. Glad you're here. If you have a Bible or you have it on your device, grab it and let's go to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I am uh, back from sabbatical. This is week two for me being back up here. So if you're new from within the last three months, hi, my name is Barry. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, I've had the opportunity to to be away, this incredible gift from the elders to our pastors every seven years, a a three-month period just to get away, to focus on being with God and with my family and own soul health, and it was such an incredible gift. Last week, I said a special word of thanks to, to Brian Eck and to Sissy Matthew for the way they kind of oversaw things here in my absence, along with our elders, and just taking care of the staff and all of you. And this week, I want to say a special word of thanks for the preachers that preached in my absence, because I heard that the preaching was fantastic while I was gone. Yes? Yes? So... Uh, yeah, you got to hear from Sissy, from Jared, from Craig, from my friend Sam Juan, from our buddy Trey Grant, from Pastor Andy. And so I'm just so grateful uh, to all of them t- to know that I left you guys in really good hands with our preachers during the time that I was away. Um, last week, I kind of began what is sort of a, a, a mini series for us of me just kind of downloading some of the things that God really has been teaching me, some of the things that I have been working on through this period of sabbatical and and wanting to offer those to you and and to invite you into some of the work that God has been doing in me. Last week, we talked about this idea that a soul at rest begins with a will surrendered to God. The the words of Jesus, he he invites his disciples, says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I, I think we can often live Weary and burdened lives. Jesus has come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. The soul at rest begins with a will that is surrendered to God. We talked about that little line from Dallas Willard that, that says that the thing that you, um, the clearest indication of what you've yet to surrender to God is that thing that you continue to worry about. That the human soul is not made to bear the weight of outcomes. The human soul is made to surrender to God. A soul at rest begins with a will surrendered. But but we left with the question, but how do we learn to live from that place, right? We can practice surrender in a a one time, in a a moment, but how do we learn to live with a soul at rest, to live with a will surrendered? And, And that's what I want to undertake with you this week, to think about what it means for us to live our lives with a rule of life. And I'll spend some time unpacking what that means, but, but as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, I mentioned last week that I kind of did a deep dive over the course of my sabbatical into the, the writings, the teaching, and the, and the life of Dallas Willard, one of the, uh, I think, most brilliant writers in Christian spiritual formation in the 20th century, somebody who's, um, who's writing during our lifetime, but will continue to be read beyond our lifetime. And John Ortberg tells a story about an encounter that he had with Dallas when when John went to him and said, how do I help my church grow spiritually, to to become more spiritually mature? Dallas paused for a moment and then offered these words. He said, you must arrange your days so that you're experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. 
You must arrange your days so that you are living with, with confidence, with contentment, with joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. And, and, and John said, okay, but not about me. I was asking about my church. Like, what, what do I need to do for my church? Like, is there a book we could read or a program that we could pursue or, or a prayer that we could pray? And Dallas says, yes, Brother John, I know that you were thinking these things, but that's not what they need most. The main thing you give to your congregation, just like the main thing that you give to God, is the person that you become. You must arrange your days so that you live experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. At the beginning of my sabbatical, I had a chance to take a week away on retreat. And I, I went to New Mexico, one of my favorite places, uh, and I got the chance to visit and spend a week at Christ in the Desert Monastery. Um, this is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been in my life. It's at the end of a 13-mile gravel driveway. It takes 45 minutes to drive the, 14, the 13 miles to get back to this monastery. And it's settled in this beautiful desert mountain area. It's unbelievable. You go inside this church, this church where the monks gather seven times a day to pray together, to pray the Psalms. And it's this beautiful, sacred place and the opportunity to spend a week and be with these men, to share meals with them and times of prayer with these men who have dedicated themselves to living in the desert and, and to living a life devoted to God in prayer. It was an incredible experience for me. Um, I was completely off the grid, no cell phone, no, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. So I had no contact with the outside world. I mean, it was like the old days where there was a telephone number that I could leave for Kim if she needed to try to get me that rang in the office at the place. I, mean, it was, I was completely off the grid for a week. And so in the middle of the week, I drove into town just to kind of check in with everybody back home. And so I, I sent a text and I said, I'm having a great time with the monks I think Kim imagined that I was like sitting around with the monks, you know, having a beer and having a conversation. I was spending the week pretty much completely in silence because much of their life is marked by silence. I think my wife, for her, that was not something that sounded particularly inviting, a week in silence. But for me, it was glorious <laughs> to just be away, to be with God, and to, to process my life. And these men live according to uh, what's called the rule of St. Benedict. The rule of St. Benedict. St. Benedict was a, a, a monk in the early 6th century. And he wrote a little book that orders the rhythm of life for people that live in these monastic communities. He, he wrote this little guide in the early 6th century. And all these centuries later, there are men around the world and women around the world who order their lives around this pattern described in this sixth century writing, the rule of St. Benedict. They live by an established rule of life. Now we hear that word rule and it may make us sort of tense up a little bit. It sounds like rules, the rules to live by, but that, that's not the idea. The word rule in rule of life in the rule of St. Benedict comes from the Latin word regula from which we get our word regular. It's the idea of a pattern of life. And these men, every day, we would sit together at lunch and we would all sit in silence as one person was appointed to read a portion of the scripture, a portion of a book that was selected by the abbot, and then a portion every day from the rule of St. Benedict, this, this guide to the rhythms of their life. That word regula 
is actually, if you go back and look at the way it's used in the ancient world, it was used to refer to a trellis upon which vines grew in a vineyard. And so the trellis became the structure on which the vines grew. And that's why this word then becomes a word that's used to describe the structure of a community and their way of life together. Of course, when I think about that image of vines and branches growing on a trellis, my mind immediately goes to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. One of the most beloved teachings of Jesus that he gave to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. They'd been together in the upper room. They'd had their last meal together. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. And then at the end of chapter 14, he said, now let's go. Let's make our way. And so they begin to travel down this path that you can still see in Jerusalem today that takes them down through the Kidron Valley and up the side of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And somewhere as they're making their way along that path, perhaps Jesus sees on his left in the moonlight the vines adorning the entrance to the temple. Or perhaps he looks down the hill to his right and sees a vineyard. But whatever his inspiration in that moment, he provides his disciples a brilliant image to capture their life with him once he has gone. And he says to them this, beginning in verse one of chapter 15. He says, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. Did you catch the word that Jesus uses over and over and over? He, he gives them this metaphor, this image of vine and branch, this idea of a, a vital life-giving connection that must exist. And he says to them, remain, abide, your translation might say. It's the Greek word meno, abide, remain, can be translated as to dwell in or to make your home in. Jesus is pointing to this vital, life-giving connection that exists between ourselves and him, that we are nurtured, that we are strengthened by that vital, ongoing connection, like a branch to a vine. And he talks in here about God's desire for us, that, that God is so committed to our spiritual formation. He is committed to our spiritual growth so that he prunes us. He takes us through experiences in our lives that, that sometimes God will take us places that we would rather not go. And he will lead us through experiences that we would rather not have. But in those seasons, in those times, in those experiences, he prunes us. Why? So that our lives bear fruit. Fruit for his glory, fruit that will last. 
But a vine that bears fruit, if attached to a trellis, that vine is going to bear considerably more fruit than it ever will if it's just growing wild on the ground. And so I want us to think together about what it means for our lives to be trellised so that we might abide in the vine, how we might live with a rule of life, how we might live a regular life so that we order our days, arrange our days to live from that place of contentment, joy, and confidence in God. Rich Fiotis describes a rule of life in this way. He says, a rule of life is a way of intentionally ordering our every day so that we love God and others and see every component of our lives as holy. This rule doesn't mean a list of rules. It's more of a set of practices, relationships, and commitments that is inspired by the Spirit for the sake of our wholeness in Christ. I love that little phrase, intentionally ordering our everyday. How might you need to intentionally order your everyday in order to abide in the vine. When I, uh, when I went to the monastery, I spent some time journaling. It's something that I've now made a more regular part of my rule of life. And on the last day before I left, here's what I wrote. I said, I came to the desert, to the sacred, quiet place to rest and reflect. Before coming here, I sensed what I really wanted, what I really needed from this sabbatical was a more stable, more predictable, more intentional rule of life. That's certainly been confirmed since being here. The lives these men have is not the life that I want, but I want to take something of the life that they have back into the life that I have. Silence, simplicity, serenity. My life is so filled with noise, complexity, and worry. I've been confronted with the degree to which that is true very much since being here. And I suspect that many of your lives, like mine, are, are characterized by a lot of noise, a lot of complexity, a lot of worry. And I needed a, a rule of life that was more stable and intentional and predictable. Andy Crouch talks about the set of practices to guide and guard our days. And that's what I felt like I needed. And so I want to share with you just my approach to establishing more um, predictable, stable, and intentional rule of life, to, to offer that to you as an invitation to enter into this kind of reflection yourself. And so um, having studied Dallas Willard, he gives this simple little um, way of remembering what spiritual formation, how we pursue spiritual formation, uh, captured with the three little letters, V-I-M, VIM. It stands for vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, and means. What we need is a vision of the life we long for, a vision for the kind of person we want to become, a vision for what life with God looks like, a vision for abiding in Christ. And then we need intention. We need to, to choose to live into, to pursue that vision. And then finally, means. What are the practices, what are the rhythms that we need to build into our days, to build into our weeks in order to experience that abiding in Christ? What, what does the trellis need to look like on which we build our lives? So last week, I shared with you that um, the simple little uh, diagram of circles of the self, the, the way of understanding the biblical components that make up a person. 
that we talked about that it begins with the will, the heart, the spirit at the very center, the center of who we are, the will that is made to live in surrender to the will of God. From there, moving out, we talked about then the mind, which involves our thoughts and our feelings. Then the next circle out is our body, which involves our habits and our appetites. The, the next circle then is the social context of our lives, our relationships, and then finally our soul. That is that capacity to integrate all those comp- components into one life. And so I use that little framework for thinking about what do I want to be true of my life, my vision for life with God? What do I want to be true of my will? What do I want to be true of my mind? What do I want to be true of my body? What do I want to be true of my relationship? What do I want to be true of my soul? And I put the question to you, what do you want to be true of your life? I spent considerable time writing several pages in my journal, and I want to just share some of what I was processing with God. What do I want to be true of my will? I want to live from a will that is surrendered to God and at peace, a will that is not divided against itself and striving to produce outcomes. What do you want to be true of your will? What do I want to be true of my mind? I, I want a mind that's not dominated by feelings of fear, self-doubt, inordinate concern for what others may think of me. A mind that's constantly growing, expanding, learning. A mind that's humble, teachable, longing to know God more deeply, to know people more deeply, to know myself more deeply. What do we, you want to be true of your mind? What do I want to be true of my body? I wrote, I want my body to experience the kind of self-control that is the fruit of the Spirit. I want my habits and my appetites to be in alignment with who I want to be in ways that allow me to thrive physically for the sake of my life and my calling, my family, and my work. I want to embody my sexuality in a way that honors God and my wife and that would make my children and my church proud. I want a body that's not in conflict with my will but is subjected to my will, surrendered to God. What do I want to be true of my relationships? And here I wrote about my marriage, my kids, my friendships, my colleagues, and you. Of my kids, for example, I wrote, I want my kids to really know me and for me to really know them, for them to experience me as present and available as a trustworthy sounding board and guide. Of my friends, I wrote, I want to be a man that has good friends and who is a good friend. I wrote about you and what kind of pastor I want to be to you. What do you want to be true of your relationships? And finally, what do I want to be true of my soul? I want my whole life, my whole self to be one of integrity, to be fully integrated self, becoming whole and holy. I want a soul at peace, to be a non-anxious presence, in an anxious world. What do you want to be true of you, of your life with God? What do you want to be true of your will, of your, of your mind, of your body, of your relationships, of your soul? To have a vision of what our life could look like abiding in Christ. That vision that captivates our minds, our imaginations, and compels us forward. A vision. And then second, intention. 
That is the decision to pursue this vision, to, the choice to, to, to become that kind of person, to live that kind of life with God. That holiness is not a condition into which we drift. We don't just accidentally wake up one day and discover we're holy. We have to decide and to keep on deciding to live into that life with God. I think part of this means deciding that we are really going to trust Jesus. And when I say that, I, I think about the church that I grew up in, that when we talked about trusting in Jesus, the church that I grew up in as a kid, we always tended to talk about trusting in Jesus as it related to his death and resurrection. So that we understood his death and resurrection, what happened to him when he died, so that we knew what was gonna happen to us when we died. That's what trusting in Jesus was all about. And don't get me wrong, I want you to trust Jesus for that. But there's more to trusting in Jesus than just what happened when he died and what happens when we die. It means trusting Jesus for everything. It means trusting that Jesus really knew how to live and that we can look to the pattern of his life as an inspiration for how to pattern our lives today. That Jesus really knew how to live and that we can trust him with Everything it takes intention. And then third means, means that is what are those practices, those rhythms that I need in my life in order to live into this vision? And here we need to distinguish the, the concepts of trying and training, right? There's a big difference between trying and training. Do we have any runners in the room? Anybody the runners? Yeah, we have a few runners in the room. I personally, I'm not really much of a runner, um, because I'm a biblical Christian. <laughs> Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. <laughs> but here's the thing. If I was to say to you, let's go out and run a marathon right now. There may be a couple of people in the room that could go out and run a marathon right now. But, but, but what if I said, but, but let's go try really hard to run a marathon. Would any more of us be able to run a marathon? No. Just trying really hard. But if we decided together that over time we were going to train for a marathon, that over time, if we arranged our lives to become the kind of person who could run 26.2 miles, that we could become that kind of person, but it requires not trying really hard, but training. And Paul says, train yourselves unto godliness, that by God's grace, through God's power, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can become the kind of people who live into this vision of our life with God. Not through our own strength, not through our own ability, not from striving, but from abiding, from training. Dallas Willard in his book, Spirit of Discipline, says this. He says, my central claim in this book is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life that he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. And we can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by participating in the types of activities that he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities that he himself practiced in order to remain, and I love this, constantly at home in the fellowship of his father. 
that we see the, the rhythms, the practices, the, the trellis, the rule of life that Jesus lived to remain constantly at home in the presence of his father. We had a meeting this week and there was something that, that came out in the meeting and, and uh, the, the people in the room could tell that Pastor Barry wasn't too happy about whatever it was. I don't even remember what God said, but, but everybody knew. They watched it happen in real time, right? That, that, that this was not what Pastor Barry wanted to happen. And so I just stopped in the middle of me and said, I'm home in the presence of my father. I'm home in the presence of my father. I'm at home in the presence of my father. And that was a silly example, of course. But the idea is, how do we cultivate that ongoing sense of it's okay, I'm okay, because I am in the fellowship with my Father. I am abiding in Christ. How do we build rhythms into our life that teach us to live from that place of surrender? And so I just challenge, encourage you to spend some time doing some examination. Examine your week. What are your rhythms? What are your habits? And what are the rhythms and habits that enable you to live into the vision of your life with God? What are the rhythms and habits that will most help you make your home in Jesus to abide in Christ? One simple habit that I have built into my rhythm of life during sabbatical that has just become so profoundly meaningful for me is kneeling prayer of surrender. As soon as I get out of bed in the morning, first thing every morning, just to kneel beside the bed. I have four different prayers that I use kind of on an alternating basis that are just prayers of surrender to God. If I'm wanting to live from a will surrendered and a soul at peace to begin my day with a prayer of surrender. Uh, And so I would just challenge, encourage you to examine your week and what are those rhythms and practices that we see on display in the life of Jesus, that we talk a lot about around here at IBC, that enable us to live into that vision of life with God. I wanna offer two warnings and then take you back to this passage as we conclude. Warning number one is don't add too much too fast. As you consider a rule of life and ordering your days, don't try to add too much too fast. It would be like trying to say we're going to go out and try really hard to run a marathon. And you're only going to wind up feeling defeated and feeling ashamed for falling short, for, for failing. And so don't add too much too fast. But look for those things that you already do. And how can you do them abiding in Christ? How can you connect some kind of spiritual practice or rhythm into what already orders your life? What is it that you need to take out of your life in order to make space for abiding in Christ? Don't do too much too fast. And second, remember that these are means, not ends. The, 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 the whole point of practicing silence and solitude, for example, isn't to get really good at silence and solitude, right? Because the, then the Pharisees win, right? We just become better at practices and not actually recognizing the whole point of the practice is to help us to love God and help us to love others. These are means, not ends. The end is loving God and loving others and seeing every aspect of our lives as holy. But I want to take you back here and make sure you don't miss the words of Jesus. In John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do much. Of course, that's not what he says. Apart from me, you 
can do nothing. This, this whole talk is not about how a rule of life is a tool that I can use to make myself holy. If I try really hard, if I have the right vision, if I set my intentions, and if I just work really hard as, at those means, then I can transform myself. No, we're not talking about ways that we can accomplish in our own, what we can accomplish in our own lives by our own power and our own strength. We're talking about arranging our lives to make our home in Christ, to experience his presence and his power to transform us. It's, about, it's not about striving, it's about abiding. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then skip down to verse nine. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Friends, we do not pursue a rule of life to get God to love us. We pursue a rule of life to abide in the love that is already ours. And I believe, friends, if we really hear these words of Jesus, personalized to us, to me, that has the power, the potential to change us deeply. Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. Abide in my love. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Infinitely, immeasurably, right? Beyond our ability to grasp or imagine, so the Father loves the Son. And Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. His love for you is infinite, immeasurable, beyond your ability to grasp or imagine. His love for you goes beyond fidelity and infidelity, beyond success and failure. His love for you is boundless and never changing in your best moments and in your worst. Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. Make your home in my love. Arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Abide in me. Make your home in my love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your love this love that is infinite, immeasurable, beyond our ability to fully grasp. As the Father loved me, so I love you. May we each hear that today for our lives from our Savior. And even as we come to communion, we're reminded of the extent to which Jesus was willing to go to demonstrate that love. There was no price that he was unwilling to pay to show us your love. For that, we thank you. And God, we pray that in these moments of response that you would stir in our hearts this invitation to consider our lives, to consider our habits, to consider our rhythms and what it is that we want to be true of us 
and to consider how we might build our life, that we might arrange our days to live into this vision. And God, I pray for any who today is a day that they need to surrender some area of their life, some aspect of their life, or, or maybe for some to surrender themselves fully to you for the very first time. God, help us to respond to your invitation to surrender today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.